Hello, and welcome to the Bunker Daily. I am your host, Alex Andreu. Giorgia Meloni's victory in the Italian election comes at a crucial time for our continent. War is back in Europe, sanctions on Russia depend on close cooperation, economies are barely beginning to regroup after the pandemic, and the cost of living crisis affects hundreds of millions. My guest today is here to take us through what just happened, to distinguish the genuinely concerning from the slightly hysterical. Chiara Albanese is Bloomberg's correspondent based in Rome. Welcome to the Banker, Chiara. Benvenuta. Good morning, everyone. It's really good to be here. Chiara, I find a lot of British media fetishizes the OMG, the far right is coming narrative when it comes to Europe. But are they right when they call Meloni's party, Fratelli d'Italia, as the Guardian put it, fascist adjacent? <laughs> Ah, look, um, I think that that's a fantastic question because it's the one I get asked very often nowadays, right? So the answer really depends on whether you believe that a person can change in their life. Um, so there is no doubt that Brothers of Italy was born, and Giorgia Meloni as well, was kind of like born and started the career as a post-fascist parties. And mm. You can still see that in a number of uh, ways. For example, the symbol that you have in Brothers of Italy is the flame. It is quite unclear what the origin of the flame is, but it is thought to, to be linked to Mussolini himself. Mm. And uh, Giorgio Meloni resisted pressure to get rid of it. Um, also, the people that, that work with her, around her, are the same advisors, same people that were close to her when joined at 15 years uh, the MSI, which was a party that was founded by people that were with Mussolini. So, for sure, her roots and her party's roots are post-fascist. But she has worked really hard, uh, both in what she says and her attitude on some topics, to get rid and change and, and brush that off. So mm. if you believe that a politician views and positioning can change, then it is not completely fair to call her right now a fascist or post-fascist mm. party. For sure, most of her ideas are far right. I, I guess the question is, what you describe, was it a process of rebranding her party to make it more attractive, or was it a process of real change that that's the question in everyone's mind so so what do we know about georgia meloni what do we know about the character of the person i guess she has changed for real and deeply on some issues for example the need for italy to be in the eu with the us against russia that was not the case until a few years ago the people in the party i talked to they say that the change has been real uh, she has not changed on other questions. For example, social rights, abortion rights, LGBTQ rights, migration. She still advocates far-right ideas that though are kind of uh, need to be interpreted in a slightly different way because you cannot really rule Italy like Orban. Um, mm. It's a different country. I mean, Italy is the third biggest economy in in Europe, I mean, you, you have to adapt to survive, and she wants to remain in power for, for a while. Mm -hmm. do, do you think the politics of this aside, 
the fact that this is Italy's first woman prime minister should be celebrated. Uh, yeah, that, that kind of links well with, with what you were asking about. What do we know about Giorgia Meloni, right? Mm-hmm. She is a woman, but she is not a feminist. We should not really uh, expect that her, her appointment as prime minister, if, if confirmed, to be a victory for women. And many, actually, women that are like complaining about uh, the gap in, in salaries and social representations and so on, well, uh, they don't see Meloni as their representative. Uh, just because she, she Meloni has been brushing off the fact that just because you're a woman, you should be seen differently, which is, you know, is a point of view and it has pros and cons. But um, what we know about her is that she's very tactical. She studies, mm. she plans, she listens a lot. So she is not as improvised as she might come across if you just watch you know her right. shouting from a rally right mm. i mean it's important to point out i think that this this was not some huge surge fratelli d'italia managed 26% of the vote which by international standards is quite small really and while that puts it ahead of others it looks to me like on the face of it a consolidation of the populist vote in a sort of different configuration, La Lega, the other far-right party, Berlusconi's Forza Italia, the populist five-star movement, all lost a lot of share, um, while Enrico Letta's uh, Partito Democratico actually went slightly up in share. Why is Italian politics so fragmented at the moment and so changeable. <laughs> yeah, um you're, <laughs> or yeah, has, no, it, but, has ever been. <laughs> uh, no, you know, like you're absolutely right. I mean, winning or losing an election is not a matter of numbers, is a matter of like perceptions and and expectations, right? So you have like parties that are claiming victory or loss in this election with basically the same numbers. Um mm. so the fragmentation is just because like politicians are just fighting so much. And like in particular, if you look at the left, our electoral law is also a law that really uh, benefits alliances and coalitions, uh, which get a big premium of seats. And this is what happened with the right. They are winning big in parliament, not because of the share the Brothers of Italy is having, but because Brothers of Italy, the League and Forza Italia are yes, together. Uh- so unusually, we know who will be in the coalition because it was negotiated before the election, effectively. They all met in Berlusconi's villa and had that famous lunch. Um, how stable do you think that coalition will, will be? Are there big areas of possible disagreement? The three leaders, I mean, oh gosh, they, they they are different, aren't they? I mean, you've got like Giorgia Meloni. I mean, she's got no experience in government, really. She's just been a junior minister a decade ago for like a few months. And then you've got like Silvio Berlusconi is almost 86. His, his birthday is one of these days. He's seen it all. He's been prime minister four times and is quite a character as well. You've got Salvini. Um, but look, their alliance has been stable over the years. They've been together for almost a decade now as an alliance. Mm. And I mean, they know that sticking together is the only way to survive in government. I mean, you say that, and yes, they have been in a grouping for a long time, but either Berlusconi or Salvini was on top, and they're both quite notorious sexists. Mm -hmm. Um, How will they react to having a woman boss? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, 
absolutely the, the, that has changed and it is very um very interesting because the only option for them is to swallow having a woman on top of them um which i mean sorry it sounded really bad but anyway you got, <laughs> yeah, you got that um but i mean without her leading the coalition well you know uh, they're probably out of power yeah and the last time salvini felt he could just grab power himself because he's never been prime minister and that's something mm-hmm. he, he has always dreamed of i mean it, it's also in the name of the of his party the league is called league for salvini prime minister so it's i mean it's quite obvious that he, <laughs> that's something that's something he wants but the last time he tried to do that which was in 2019 it was I mean, I suggest our listeners to just go back and look at the videos. It's fantastic. You've got Salvini basically saying he's pulling the plug on the government where he is deputy just behind the <laughs> DJ set naked on a beach. Um, so it's quite a moment in Italian politics. Well, that time he completely lost his gamble and he went. He found himself back at the opposition. So I'm sure that this time he will think twice. Chiara, let's talk a little bit about policy. Meloni has promised to stand by Ukraine and the Russian sanctions. What is public opinion like in Italy on the war? Do do you think that position can hold? So, look, I think Italians um, are pretty okay. They see the war as a bad move from Russia's side. They condemn it. But as long as they don't feel too directly the heat of energy prices, of inflation on their own pockets, they're going to continue to do and think and support the right thing. Now, that does not seem to have changed, but it becomes a bit more of a volatile concept when you have in power a coalition that is divided about it. Because Meloni has been very clear about being sided with Ukraine. But Salvini has questioned whether sanctions work or not. And Berlusconi, that was very peculiar. Like, for example, last week he was in a TV show and he said, oh, you know, Putin, poor guy, really thought you could do that in just five days, a week. Like, he didn't want a, a long, dragging war. And that's, it was sort of lying for a Western yeah, country yeah. that people just yeah. blame him on, like, his age, his people, like, his press office. So it's going to be a very particular topic in the next government. Yeah. I guess some of it might become clear from the positions they take in the new government, right? Do we have any idea what ministry they might go towards? Um, so the list of the names is being discussed in these days. There are a lot of names just floating around. I think the attention is going to be on two ministers in particular, and that's going to be the economy and the energy ones. Yeah. And we know, talking to, to to Meloni people and that kind of, there seems to be an agreement that there will be a decision of reassurance. People that mm. are not particularly polarized and they are trusted and respected at EU level. What about the EU? I mean, Meloni used to be a very hostile Eurosceptic. Do you think Brussels is beginning to see a sort of block of countries like Hungary and Poland joining with Italy that will be obstructive? Or or have their recent experiences with Orban meant that they've developed good strategies for keeping 
um, nationalist governments in line, I guess. You know, Meloni has been very close to, to Orban and, and to Vox, for example, in Spain, but she will have to, I think, slightly tweak her foreign policy now because she now will have to represent a different kind of country, a country that is in the G7, that is in decision-making groups. Um, and she signaled that already. So she said that Orban has been wrong on some things. People are still left guessing on that, how she will be behave. Yeah, and because uh, I think in Italy, overall support for the EU is still relatively high. Um, you know, the, the far right thrives on manipulating people's worries in many ways. So do you think that this is such a difficult moment to give her more power or does it actually really constrain her from doing a lot of things that she might do if the economy was doing very well? That's a great question. I mean, when there are like moments of crisis, people just want to be reassured and they look for that reassurance in their leader. So uh, she might end up, as you say, having more power because she is the go-to person for like people in a moment of challenge. And we've seen that happening, for example, with Giuseppe Conte, who was honestly a hardly known person who found out found himself being Prime Minister of Italy when the COVID started, right? Yes. All of a sudden, he became everyone's kind of trust person, go-to person. But you know, there is also a possibility that there will be the opposite effect, right? So, for example, if she blows up, if she messes up, if she doesn't deliver, people can just very quickly lose trust yes. on her. I mean, look at Liz Trust exactly. in the UK. The, you, don't get, you don't get much of a honeymoon. Um, looking at the last few elections, I think I see a pattern in Italian politics that sort of the big party that refuses to participate in a coalition does well in the next election. <laughs> Who do you think will be the main opposition to Meloni? <sighs> it's very hard to say here because, you know, the left is so divided mm. that the Democrats, that would be the obvious party to just play the opposition, they are just in, in a crisis themselves right now. They don't have a leader. Enrico Letta, who has been so far the leader, has said he will resign after the political yeah. the defeat in the election. So how can you play the opposition if you don't even have a leader? So um, the opposition, I imagine, could come from her own party, which is a, a coalition. So as you were saying, having this Salvini testing the waters from time to time, mm. Berlusconi testing the water from time to time, testing a bit her patience. Can I can I ask a word about Mario Draghi? We were discussing him before we started recording. So he's the technocrat who, who was brought in as a sort of neutral to be in charge of the last coalition. And he's still a really popular politician in Italy, more popular than anyone in charge of a party. And a lot of people are genuinely annoyed that he had to resign because they thought he was handling things relatively well. Is there a sort of Emmanuel Macron on Marche route into politics for a new centrist party, do you think? 
I don't think that Draghi is at all interested in joining official Italian politics at this stage. Also because he was defeated by Italian politics. Yeah. So he's still very popular like in the streets. People just think he did a good job as he did. He kind of tried to fix Italy. He did as much as he could. But there is also another little sentiment that goes across everyone from the left to the right about Draghi. And it is the fact that he was not elected. Mm-hmm. And this is just one of the other things that happen when Italy is in trouble. You just call a random guy that is very skilled, but <laughs> people don't relate to, right? Um, like jury service. Ex- exactly. So <laughs> You get yeah. a letter in the post saying it's your <laughs> turn. <laughs> exactly. And, and, you know, like people just feel that one of their kind of like basic power has been taken away from them, right? which is voting mm. for your new prime minister. Yeah, yeah. Um, can I ask you to just to finish up a couple of anglocentric questions? Our prime minister, Liz Truss, was quick to congratulate Meloni. Do, do you think this is just diplomatic nicety or does she see a genuine soul sister in Meloni? Or is the UK just agitating for people who are disruptive to the European Union. You got to find your allies, right? And you know for sure her better than me, but I mean, I see that for Lestras, uh, just getting inside a new alliance via Meloni works. Mm. She is kind of new as well. She has not been in the room at the last meetings that are kind of, let's say, run or dominated by a different mm. kind of politician. You have the Scholz, the Macron, and the Draghi, the trio. I mean, they, look, they were on a on a night train to Kiev together, right? I mean, yeah. they sh- they shared something. It's yeah, like yeah, they've yeah. been on a school trip. I mean, uh, they, they, they kind of got some flight time together, and both Meloni and, and Trust don't. So it makes sense. Now, I wouldn't say that for them, or at least for Meloni, the fact that there are two women or a bit polarized makes a big difference. I mean, I think mm. Meloni is going to be really strategic. Finally, some people are using this result in Italy to say, look what happens with proportional representation. Do they have a point? Yes, no. Like, I think the voting system in Italy is so complicated that, like, it's just distorsive to a level that is unbelievable because. Now, the voting system was designed for a parliament that was bigger than the one we voted for. Yes, there was a a constitutional vote a couple of years ago to reduce the number um, dramatically, right? Exactly. So, like, for good or worse, the votes that you got were really distorted into the seats that the party got. So, for example, Mm. the Democrats got double the votes of the league, but they got the same number of seats in parliament. Right. So that's a big distortion, and it is because of the alliance that they have. So they are part of a formal coalition. So, oh, so, so it's a misrepresentation to say that Italy has simple proportional yes. representation, right? Italy has a mixed system, which is for two thirds proportional and for one third first past the post, but with other kind of little tweaks here and there that basically translate into a big boost in seats for alliances. Mm. So it's so complicated. Like, honestly, look, if you ask my job, 
So my job is not kind of like reporting on Italian politics. It's just explaining people the electoral law, just because everyone is so confused. It's <laughs> um, a special title I have. No, but jokes aside, it's like really complicated. And, and look, yeah, it's so distorsive. And yes, for sure, the big win that Meloni had is like for a big part of it due to the, uh, the electoral law. Chiara Albanese, grazie mille for your time, for your patience in explaining things so plainly to our listeners. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. It was a pleasure. Remember, there's a new bunker every day, so don't forget to subscribe, review and rate us. And if you want to support our podcast family, consider backing our work on the funding platform Patreon. Just search for Bunker Podcast Patreon. I want to close with the words of Italian journalist Beppe Severnini. Your Italy and our Italia are not the same thing. Italy is a soft drug peddled in predictable packages, hills in the sunset, olive groves, lemon trees, white wine and raven-haired girls. Italia, on the other hand, is a maze. It's alluring but complicated. Italy is the only workshop in the world that can turn out both Botticelli's and Berlusconi's. This is Alex Andreu in the bunker saying, Passo e chiudo. The bunker was presented by Alex Andreu. Audio production is from me, Robin Lieburn, and the producers are Jelena Sofronevic and Jacob Archman with assistant production from Kasia Tomaszewicz. Lead producer is Jacob Jarvis. Group editor is Andrew Harrison. And our theme tune is by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production.